What is up, everyone? I hope you are doing fantastically well today. This is Rafael Garcia, here with Shuan Yun for episode 192 of the MMA Ratings Podcast, where we'll be talking Max Holloway and UFC 257, probably the two biggest talking points in the sport right now. We don't need to be talking about anything else. But before we hop into the, to the show, talking about Fits the Cuffs, Shuan, Long time no talk, man. How you been? Uh, not too bad. Busy as usual. Just working in uh, training kids and working some more, man. What you got going on? Uh, picked up some new kids. A couple kids came back. And uh, just this other job, I, the job I started right before Thanksgiving, it's, it's just a lot of dealing with people who don't want to do their job, which makes my job more difficult. Same, man. Just going in and tell them about themselves. You ever have to shake anybody down? Not really. I'm I'm just glad I don't work in an office because I don't have to deal with anybody face to face. I can just get to them when I get to them. If I had to work in an office, I'd probably find another job. To be honest. Look, man, go in there and threaten threaten their lives and see what happens. Hey, maybe maybe I'll get a raise. The the difference part is a lot of people who work there are married to or related to somebody in there, so they can all mess up a lot of times. I'm related to no one, which means my mess ups have to be like very minimal. True, true, true. I get it. I see you got to uh, act like you have some sense in there, man. But what about MMA this week, man? It's been a whole hell of a lot going on, especially with Saturday's action that occurred. But before we jump into that, I want to say thank you for everybody taking the time to listen to our show. As always, you can catch us in a couple of different places. So start with the flagship over at MMARatings.net, also.com. And if you go over to social media and hit us up at MMARatings.net, in both Instagram and Twitter. You will surely catch all of our content along with the work that Adam Martin and um, Mike puts out there as well. So check us out on both of those spaces. Myself, you can hit me at R Garcia Sports on both Instagram and Twitter. Schwann is Black Jordan Green in both spots. And you can check out this podcast across uh, various channels, including Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, uh, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, and YouTube at MMA Ratings. So thank you again for taking the time to uh, join in on the show, like and share our content, subscribe if you already have not, and get along and hop on the bus because this train is, or hop on the, whatever, just get on, get on board because we're moving forward. We're trying to grow this year just as much as we did last year. So Schwan, let's hop into it. Let's talk about Max Holloway. And his record-breaking performance at UFC Fight Island 7 in the main event against Calvin Cater, where he dominated Cater, putting up some scorecards we've never seen before. 50-43, 50-43, and 50-42. He broke 16 records in this uh, in his performance on, on Saturday. So before we dive down to the specifics of it, was this a game-changing performance? Do you think that we have seen this is like the aha moment of another level of mixed martial arts? Um, I'm probably going to be in the minority, but, I mean, it was a great performance. Wonderful. It looks spectacular. But the fact of the matter is when somebody tells me about an all-time great performance or a, or a, one that sets the bar as far as before, before as a quality – to me, it matters who you're fighting against. 
and he was fighting against Calvin Cater, a good but not great fighter who had really obvious flaws. And so he, it's like, to me, it was, this, it was MMA's version of Errol Spence versus Danny Garcia. The only question with Max Holloway was, was he durable enough? Did he still have some of the energy and the conditioning? If Max Holloway's at 100%, nobody even thinks Calvin Cater's a good fight for him. Same thing with Errol Spence's getting that car accident. Nobody thinks Danny Garcia can compete with him. It's ridiculous. It's, it was a showcase fight. The only question was because Max had shown some, had shown that he had declined physically a little bit. He didn't have the durability. He couldn't just build on his momentum like he had in previous fights when he fought Volkanovski. So that people were like, well, maybe Max has lost a step. You know, maybe Max isn't the same guy, which I believe he isn't. But the fact of the matter is, as far as skill, experience, level of opposition, and and wins over level of opposition, it, it was all in Max Holloway's favor. I this fight went pretty much the way I thought it was going to be. You had a very good MMA fighter who's a pretty good boxer against a guy who's basically a skilled puncher who uses aggression and volume to win fights. Like, I don't know why anybody thought this fight was going to go any, any different. Like, everybody else is like, I've never seen this kind of dominance. I'm like, did you not expect this? Well, I couldn't have expected this. How could you not? I expected this. The only question was, could Max take, Max take a punch if he got hit clean? If he could, this was going to be a no contest. This was going to be easy work. And it was. And as excited as everybody is about it, Max didn't show me anything I hadn't seen before. He just showed it against a guy who was one or two levels lower than the guys he's usually shown this kind of skill against. So it, it didn't impress me like it did everybody else. Everybody else was very impressed. Everybody was jumping up and down. I was just saying, stop the fight. It wasn't competitive. So let's keep talking about that specifically. And you said this fight wasn't competitive at all. Um, should it have been stopped? Because there's a lot of back and forth about in the third and fourth round that this fight should have been stopped. And he took, he being Calvin Cater, took on too much damage. What is your opinion on that? It should have been stopped after the third. I might have stopped it in the third. Is the reason why some of the guys I've worked with, amateur or some upcoming pros, why they never let me work corners. Because I don't believe in taking unnecessary punishment. The point of a fight is this. When you train somebody, you train them to win, but you also train them with enough skills so that they can defend themselves so they aren't taking excessive punishment that changes the direction of their career. The second goal is, this, and that's the main thing, that's that when you're in the corner, your goal is to win the fight. As soon as the fight is no longer winnable, now, if the guy's not taking a lot of punishment and it's 50-50, that's different. You can't tell that the fight's no longer winnable. When it's one-way traffic, at a certain point, it becomes clear your guy does not have the tools, the athleticism, the power to navigate his limitations to make the fight winnable. So once the fight's no longer winnable, especially if they're taking a beating, you pull the cord on the fight. And they didn't do that. They let Cater go out there and take every single minute of that beating. And the beating, the things that, that mess up a, a fighter... It's not the flash KOs. It's not the big knockout. It's when you take round after round after round after round of clean, consistent, accurate punishment. And against Max Holloway, who's an accurate striker, a very busy striker, and a striker who attacks you at every single level, he took five rounds of abuse. And he was never in the fight. For the word go, Max shut him off. He took away his jab. He exploited the fact he only moves forward and backwards in straight lines. He was turning him, running him into shots. He was backing him up. With his pressure, hitting him up on the end shots, he was catching him, coming into shots. He didn't let Calvin Cater build up any momentum. He didn't let Calvin Cater get to his spots. 
And Calvin Cater didn't do himself any favors because he came, he came out slow trying to gauge match, trying to find the, the openings, trying to manage the distance. That's not the kind of fighter he is, not against a guy who's that much better as far as the skill set. So they should have stopped the fight at the third, third. After third, the fight should have been stopped. I guess you could let it go into the fourth, but after the third round, I would have stopped it. He had no chance of winning the fight. He had no technical answer, and Cater is not a knockout puncher. It's not like every, he hits somebody just once and they go flying. He's not the kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that once he falls behind in a fight, he doesn't have any way to turn the fight around unless the other guy makes a huge mistake or unless the guy just ha- doesn't have enough technical skills to keep punishing him. Max Holloway didn't make any mistakes. Max Holloway has all the skills to totally shut him down. There was no, no point in going on, and I, I don't believe he's going to be the same fighter. He shouldn't fight. He shouldn't spar. He shouldn't train again for the next six to eight months minimum, probably a year. And if he comes back any sooner than that, I predict him having a like he's going to be like a falling star because his style of fight was already dependent on his conditioning, on his ability to take punishment, on his ability to throw a lot of volume. When you're that kind of fighter, you burn the candle at both ends in the cage and outside the cage preparing it. Every fight he's been in, he's taken huge punishment, but at least it's been close to 50-50. In this fight, it was all one-way traffic, and I don't think he's going to be the same. He wasn't already, He was already not a great athlete, so now he's going to lose a step athletically from this beating, and he's already a flawed fighter as far as his defense and his counters, and this ain't going to help it. You can't fix these kind of holes this late in the game. And to be quite honest, I understand why they took the fight. You had to take the fight. You had to make a, take the name because Max looked vulnerable and is the best fight at the option, biggest fight, but... Looking at this fight on paper, I didn't think it was going to be close. He doesn't have the skill set to fight Max Holloway, and his team, to me, didn't have a good strategy to fight Max Holloway. So they sent him out there, in my opinion, underprepared, or as prepared as they could, but it still wasn't good enough. And then they let him take five rounds of punishment when nobody in the corner had any answers, and Calvin Cater had no moves or athleticism or ability to lean on that could have turned the fight in his favor. And to be quite honest, even if he would have pulled out a miraculous knockout in the fifth round, I still would have regretted them letting the fight go. These kind of fights change people's careers for the worse. Look at the Korean zombie. Look at the Korean superboy. Look at Darren Elkins, guys who've taken huge beatings. And look, look how they've fallen off after that. You don't recover from that kind of abuse. Look at Cain Velasquez. Look at Ho, um, Junior DeSantos. After the beatings he took, he was never the same guy again. You, you just don't put your guy in that kind of position. These things never really ever I don't think they ever really recover from the stuff like this. And I don't think Cater's going to recover either. Not at his age. He's like, what, 30, 32? He's coming up to the point where he's going to start declining. And now he took this kind of beating. So I don't think, I don't, I think you can mark, wipe him off the board as far as being an elite fighter from this point on. You said a couple of different things there. I definitely want to hit on across the board. First, let's talk about Holloway's performance here. Did we see anything different from him that we haven't seen before? Or was the skill gap just that huge that this is Holloway being Holloway? We saw it kind of similar to what he did to um, what he did to uh, Ortega. He kind of outclassed Ortega in, in, in a certain degree. But Ortega at least had the athleticism and the durability and the power to kind of keep him honest in spots. And, and but it was, it was basically what he did to Ortega. It was basically what he did to Ortega. The only difference is maybe Cater is more durable, but he took every bit of the same beating as, as Ortega. Only different, and the, the second difference is that Cater wasn't able to do any real damage. Cater's not a big enough hitter, and Cater doesn't, didn't pose enough of a threat 
in any one spot for Max to really have to turn it on. Max cruised in spots in that fight. So this is what I expected from him. Technical, deliberate striking exchanges. Now he gets hit because he throws a lot of volume and he's aggressive. But defense, it, as, much, um, as much volume as he throws, as much as he hits you, he wasn't really, he wasn't really taking that much back from Cater. So this is, I've seen this version of Max before. I saw it against Clay Collard. I saw it against, Rob, saw it against Brian Ortega. Um, this isn't, this, I mean, I don't know what everybody's so shocked about. We've seen this before from him. This, this isn't the first time we've seen this. This is the first time we've seen a guy who didn't have anywhere near the ability or the skill to do anything to him. But it, so basically we saw typical Max Holloway against a lesser opponent. Max has looked... Max has been facing elite guys, and now he's facing a guy who's like maybe the best of the middle of the pack. So when you go from elite to average, of course you're going to look outstanding. You're fighting a guy who's two to three steps below you. That's how you're supposed to look. That's why I wasn't impressed. Ortega, that's something. Craig, when he beat Clay Collar like this, I wasn't impressed either. It's the same thing. Uh, aggressive, tough guy who throws a lot of volume and, and throws with some education. Same thing. Calvin Cater, Clay Collar, essentially the same fighter in the most general sense possible. So was there anything you saw in Holloway that would make you interested in him fighting Volkanovski again, moving up to 155? Because there are some people that are talking about him being maybe a potential fight for Khabib. Did you see anything different in his skill set Saturday that makes that fight, those fights more interesting? The only reason that it's interesting against Volkanovski is because they're clearly the two best in the division. They are by far the best technically, technically the best conditioning, the best IQs, the best overall skill sets. That's what makes it interesting because the first fight was clearly in Volkanovski's favor. The second fight, I still thought Volkanovski won because even though Max made adjustments, he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't build on his lead and he couldn't sit on it. And what I mean by that is he couldn't maintain it. Volkanovski made an adjustment, and Max wasn't able to use his volume or his technique to really make an adjustment mid-fight to cut off Volkanovski or just bite down on his mouth guard and overwhelm him like he's done against Aldo and other people where he just overwhelms him with volume and pressure. He couldn't do either one of those things, which led me to thinking that he was physically compromised. So that's interesting just because they're on a level of their own, and the, fight, the second fight was close enough where you could think that maybe if Max could make one or two other adjustments, he could win it. The only difference is Max made adjustments between fights. Against Volkanovski, I have never seen Max make an adjustment mid-round. I've seen Volkanovski make adjustments in two fights against Max. I've never seen Max make an adjustment in fight against anybody. Not against Poirier, not against Volkanovski, not against Aldo. His plan A has always worked. I've never seen him be forced to go to a plan B. And when he's and the one time he had to go to he was forced to go to a plan B, he didn't have it. So that's why that fight's interesting. They're just better than everybody else. Moving up to lightweight, that would be interesting against Khabib just because Max seems to be so far above most featherweights. And even though he lost against Volkanovski, he wasn't stopped. He wasn't just brutally beaten. And off of this kind of performance, it makes you wonder what he could do against the guys who are bigger and stronger and how, how much more energy and how much more durability he'd have if he moved up a weight class. And I, I could see some interest in that. But the fact of the matter is, at lightweight, at featherweight, Max isn't a puncher. At lightweight, we've already seen that. He's not a puncher that weight class either. While technically speaking, he's got a lot of advantages over a lot of guys, I still don't know how he handles it when his volume and his pressure and his durability isn't enough to scare guys off or to kind of drown them. 
I mean, as good as he is, he's not walking through Gagey. We've already seen him against Poirier. And as much as his cardio and his all-round skills fit, I still don't know that if Khabib gets his hands on him, that he doesn't just do whatever he wants with him. It's not like Max has just been physically dominating everybody's face. He didn't physically dominate Frankie, Frankie Edgar. He won, but it wasn't just like a complete physical domination. And the gap between 45 and 55, as far as power and physical strength and durability, is such that I don't know that even his skills at this point can navigate that because I don't believe that his chin is what it used to be, and I don't believe his ability to recover from punishment is what it used to be. If he was, if we're talking about prime Max about three years ago, two years ago, yeah. This Max, I still have my concerns. I still have my concerns about his ability to take punishment and to recover from the punishment he's taken. But based off purely off of his skill set and what, what he's looked like in his last fight, yeah, there's interest, there's interest in it. Something I've been thinking about is his move up to 155. If I was in this corner, I would talk him into taking six months. Six months to properly build up his body, build up his strength, and then make that leap. What do you think that that time would do for him if he was to move up to 155 rather than making the jump, let's say, in the next two or three months? Um, I, I think it would do a lot for him. I think... Once you move away classes, depending on the kind of fighter you are, there's certain adjustments you have to make in regards to your fighting style and how, 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 how much attention to detail you pay to defense, how much harder you have to work to get the same result. At featherweight, like I said before, Max lands like, what, 100, 300, 100 fights? Of, like, even, in, even against Cater, he broke a record, right, in landed punches, landed strikes. If Max was truly a power puncher, and he hit, and can he hit somebody that many times? There'd be a chalk outline around the guy he hit because he's such a devastating puncher. Even at featherweight, and even against a guy he couldn't miss against, he still didn't finish him. And that's at featherweight. And Cater couldn't touch him. And when Cater did touch him, he didn't really hurt him. So it's a guy who can't really get to you, and when he can get to you, can't hurt you, and you're hitting him at will, and you still couldn't finish him. I don't know that Cater would go five rounds with Dan Hooker, much less Dustin Poirier, much less Conor McGregor, much less Charles Oliveira, much less Justin Gaethje, or Michael Chandler on the feet. I don't think he goes two or three rounds with them. So for him to move up, it's not just getting your body physically ready. It's adjust, making the adjustments to your style so that you can, you can maximize your physical tools and minimize the physical disadvantages you're at. When he fought Justin Poirier, we saw the technique, we saw the skill, we saw the layer combination, we saw him trying to build in the pocket. And true, Justin, Justin Poirier is skilled enough where he can kind of match him as far as building on his offensive, his, his offensive momentum and putting shots together. But another thing that Justin Poirier had is he could take the shots that, that Max was handling, the same shots that hit Aldo and wiped him out, they didn't wipe out Justin Poirier. And the same shots that Justin Poirier hit somebody like Dan Hooker with, and it took him, he couldn't, he couldn't get Dan Hooker out of there, but Dan Hooker was able to apply pressure when he hit Holloway, it was a whole different level of power. So even if Holloway landed six shots, the two shots from Dustin Poirier cleaned that right back up. So it's like you have to adjust what you're doing, how you're doing it, as well as your body. You can't go in there with the same approach you do with featherweight because you don't have the power nor do you have the physicality. And I still don't believe he has the durability to fight the fight he, he, he fights at featherweight. And as good as he is, there's too many guys who got enough pressure and enough technical acumen on the feet that he's not, he's not gonna, he's not gonna be fighting a Calvin Cater. He's not gonna fight Conor McGregor for five rounds and not get touched. He's not fighting Justin Gaethje for five rounds and not getting touched. 
He's not fighting Dorsen Poirier on the feet for five rounds and not getting touched. He's not fighting Michael Chandler five rounds on the feet and not getting touched. So he has to make some adjustments to how he does business to maximize his effect. If he just comes up in the next two or three months, I don't know that he gets past the Charles Oliveira. I don't know that he gets past that guy. I'm pretty sure he doesn't get past so, like Justin Gaethje. That's where I actually want to start there because if we look at the top five names at 155, are there any you would favor Max Holloway against? He's already lost to Connor and Dustin, but he's beaten Charles before. So are there any guys that you would favor him in winning against right now? I might say Charles is 50-50. And I say, like, as far as name, like a guy who is a name, Nate Diaz is a name. So if he fought against Nate Diaz, I'd probably favor him against Nate. No, just the top five. I'm not talking about names. Just the top five. Um, I just don't know. I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that he can handle the power. And as good as he looks against Calvin Cater, Calvin Cater has his footwork's worse than all the guys in the top five. There's not one guy in the top five who is worse footwork than Calvin Cater. And there's not one guy in the top five who's not a better athlete than Calvin Cater. There's not a, one guy in the top five who doesn't take a better shot than Calvin Cater. So yeah, he looked great against him, but I, I can't favor him against anybody in the top five. I'd say maybe Oliveira is fifty fifty. Even even Chandler. Chandler, I don't have a lot of faith in his chin or his ability to recover, but Max Holloway doesn't hit like that. So I'd, I'd have to say that his speed and his power gives him an, an advantage over Max, too. I wouldn't favor him, but he'd be competitive against all of them. I don't favor him over any of them. All right. All right. So what's next for him, then? After this win, what do you think he should do next? If Ortega wins, then he'll fight Ortega in a rematch. If Okanowski wins, he might really have to move up. I don't, I mean, there's some interest in a rematch, but I don't, especially coming off this fight, there's some interest in a rematch. I don't know that Volkanovski wants that. I mean, pretty much, if I was him, I'd probably start thinking about moving up. Because, I mean, he loses to Volkanovski one more time, and essentially, there's no reason for him to be in the featherweight division at, at all. I think he probably wants another shot at that belt. So if he can get it, he'll go for Volkanovski or Ortega, whoever wins it. But, um, Personally, if I'm the UFC, I'd probably try to get him to move up because at this rate, if he doesn't get a title fight right away, all he's going to do is start knocking off potential contenders, guys who are close to the title who got to get through Max, which they won't, and then that's going to be just – it's great for him because it'll force a rematch, but it's not great for the UFC because it's not a new matchup. Yeah, personally, I think he moves up to uh, 155. Let's talk about the rest of the card from Saturday. What else stood out from you? We saw Carlos Hyde picking up a win. We saw Lee Jing Liang picking up a win as well. What else stood out to you on Saturday's card? Well, the, I thought about uh, the thing about uh, the Condit fight and the Brown fight. A lot of people were saying you were seeing classic uh, Carlos Condit and classic Matt Brown. And the thing that happens is the same thing would happen with Ken Shamrock and people when they get older. When you get these guys who are kind of past their prime, they don't have their durability anymore, they don't have their cardio, physicality anymore, when you place them against guys in their age range or in their group, you'll get good fights because you have guys who still have experience and still have skills. They, they just can't work at the pace they used to and they can't take the punishment they used to from younger, fresher guys. Against guys in, with similar mileage on them, you'll, you'll get an interesting back-and-forth fight, and that's what you got against Matt Brown. You know, even the fight he had against... Uh, was it McGee, I think? Court McGee? Court McGee is a not a, he's an unathletic grinder. Throws a lot of volume, takes a lot of abuse, uses his will to impose his will on guys. He doesn't have the skill of Carlos Condit. He doesn't have the experience. 
doesn't really even have the, the dynamic finishing ability. So you see Condit look dominant against McGee. And you're like, oh, maybe Condit's got something. You see him fight against Matt Brown, and now I hear people saying they want Carlos Condit against a contender. There's not many contenders that Carlos Condit is even capable of competing with at this stage. He doesn't take abuse like he used to. And as good as he is as far as grappling and finding submissions and, and finding moments of offense, the fact of the matter is he still can be outworked on the feet and on the ground. He's a big, explosive moments of offense. It's the same thing he did with Matt Brown. Matt Brown had the first round. Carlos got the second. In the third round, Carlos, just, to me, just had bigger moments of offense. But I don't know that this means Carlos Condon is back. I damn sure don't think he's a contender right now. I, I don't know what contender I'd favor him to beat. Unless maybe he fought, he could fight Tyron Woodley right now. Tyron Woodley seems like he's at the point Carlos Condit is. You could you could make a Tyron Woodley versus Carlos Condit fight. I'd probably watch that. I mean, Tyron has a win over Carlos. It was an injury win, but yeah. it still has a win over him, and it's a winnable fight for Carlos at this point. And if and if Tyron wins it, he beats a guy on a two fight winning streak. So it's a win win for everybody. Mm-hmm. That's not bad rematch. And as for uh. Lee, G- how do you say his name? Jillian? Mm-hmm. I can't say it right. Um, I wasn't shocked by it just because Ponzinibbio hadn't fought in like, what, a year or two? He hasn't fought in a while. And I know he's a better athlete. He's probably a better striker. He's a better classifier as far as who he's beaten and who he's fought. But the fact of the matter, when you're facing a guy who's young, who's durable, and who doesn't have a lot of fear in him, um, I think the offense isn't hard to do. The defense and the counters are. And Ponzinibbio just got he just got ran over. I I think the pace and the and the aggression caught him off guard, and he got hurt and he just couldn't recover and that was it. And now a guy who had worked himself up to being a top seven, top five type fighter is now taking a tumble all the way back down the rankings, and now Lee's going to take a step up. I don't think he's a top five guy. I'm not even sure he's a top seven guy right now. But he beat a guy with a name who was on a win streak, and so he's going to get to move up and get his shot at one of the bigger names in the division after this. I would think. So we're talking about guys taking a tumble. Uh, Joaquin Buckley got knocked out, and it didn't shock me at all. Did it surprise you at all? Why or why not? Shwan? You there? Yep. Did you, can you hear me? Shwan. Shwan, can you hear me? Hello? Shwan. Yeah, um, that was all I really thought that was worth mentioning. I mean, you had the Macedo, the, the Mello Moraz fight. That was pretty terrible. Um, Sarah Moraz gave away a fight she should have won. She fought the wrong style. She was inaccurate. She was inefficient. She was ineffective and then had the nerve to think that she won the fight. Swan, can you hear me? Swan, can you hear me? Hello? What the fuck? 
Swan, can you hear me? Swan, can you hear me? Why is the why is it? Speaker off. Hello? Hold on, hold on, Swan. Hello? Um, yes, and another fight that we had to look into was um, Joe Quinn Buckley, uh, who actually lost his fight. Um, I wasn't really surprised by Buckley losing. My my concern was after he won, and if you go back and listen to our if you go back and listen to our breakdown of the fight after it, I said that this fight was going to be great for him because it went viral, and he had no name and he had no camp behind him. It was force people to pay attention to him or to look into him, he earned that attention and that fanfare all on his own. And it meant more to it meant more than somebody else like a Conor McGregor because that guy has a name, he has all the media behind him. For a guy like Buckley to get in and to go viral like that is huge for his career. My concern for him was that in having a win like that, instead of moving him up appropriately and moving him up slowly, the UFC was going to take this chance to push him through, to just push him through the ranks and see if it could catch on to a to a star on its ascent. And that's essentially what they did. I don't think his opponent, I don't think Chirico is the greatest opponent in the world. I don't think he's a world beater, but he's a guy who had faced a much better class of opponent than Buckley had faced. And whether he won, even when he lost, it wasn't like he was getting KO'd and just dominated. He was in competitive fights with guys who were considered some of the better fighters in the division. And um, I think Buckley just got a little bit more than he bargained for. And I think he was pushed a little bit faster than he should have been pushed. I think they thought Churico was on a three-fight losing streak, two-fight losing streak, and that would be enough. That they were giving him at the right moment that Buckley, Buckley could build off that build on the momentum he had from that viral moment. Instead, he got outworked, and he basically got handled by a guy who, who once again, was on a three-fight losing streak. So Buckley's whole win streak, all his momentum comes to a grinding halt instantaneously, and he goes all the way back into the pack as a faceless guy that nobody knows and, and that nobody's really going to consider a legitimate contender or potential up-and-coming star. And it instantly, Alessio takes all his momentum, takes all his position, and moves forward as a fighter. And is gonna get all the get all the uh get all the love he should have gotten. Swan, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Great. There we go. I'm not sure what it was, but um yeah man, Buckley got KO'd and do you think he loses all of his mo his momentum? Is like is it done or can he build that back up? I mean, 
he got stopped and he got stopped in pretty brutal fashion. And he got stopped by a guy who was on a three fight losing streak who did nobody knows. I mean, were you aware that Alessio DeCirico was still fighting with the UFC? I wasn't. I thought he might have gotten cut. And, and I, I'm, I'm fairly caught up on mixed martial arts. I mean, he hasn't won a fight in almost a year and a half. And this guy came and he knocked he knocked him out. And Buckley was on a was on a streak of knockout impressive knockout wins. So that streak comes to an end and he gets knocked out. And it's not like he was putting it's not like every single fight he had was a viral moment. Like you had a like a uh, MVP in Bellator where he has constant viral moment after constant viral moment. This was his his this was his first exposure to the big time in the fans in the UFC. And as soon as he got exposed to the fans, he immediately got knocked out and gets pushed to the back of the line. I mean, he's always going to have that knockout back then, but that knockout is only one moment. And right after that, you got knocked out. So how do you really build on that moment? He doesn't have four or five, six fights and a title reign to back him up. He has a couple knockouts over some lower level guys and also a knockout over essentially a mid-tier fighter. So it's not like a title fight he did in like a showtime kick or something like that. It's a, it's a big moment, but it wasn't against anybody of anybody popular enough for it to carry him for years and months and years, especially coming off a KO loss. So I wanted to take a minute to shout out to, um, uh, what's her first name? I only know her last name is Edwards, but the woman. No, Panamanian. Edwards. Yes, talk about her for a second because she's the first Panamanian to get a win in the octagon. Well, I've been watching a lot of her fights. The main thing that stood out to me is she's a big, strong, athletic girl. She's probably one of the better athletes in bantamweight right now. I mean, I can't think maybe Amanda Nunes is better than her. Maybe Holly Holm, somewhat competitive, close. Ash, Ashley uh, Aspen Ladd, maybe, but for the most part. She's no worse than a top three, top four athlete in the division. Um, she showed improved grappling, but the biggest advantage she had was she had a physical, physical strength advantage, physical power advantage, and just a hand speed advantage. Her opponent, who um, she she just was so uncomfortable with the speed, she was so uncomfortable with the size, she never really could put any pressure on her. She could never really sit down on her punches to counter her because she was so fearful of what was coming back. Every time the Jocelyn threw, she was like covering up and trying to get away. And on the ground, Jocelyn showed better skills in her. But I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that she was physically so strong that she could get to spots and get control and do damage from spots that a normal Bantamweight fighter wouldn't normally do. So I was impressed. I was impressed. It's a historical moment for her. She's the first one to win. She showed a lot of, she showed improving skills on her grappling and, and her cage IQ. But the biggest thing that stood out that separates her from all the other Bantamweights right now is her athleticism. I want to see what happens when she faces an opponent. She can't just, just physically dominate. And just to point out how how advanced she was physically compared to uh, Wu Yanan, is Wu actually, she tripped and fell, and Wu tried to walk on walk up to land strikes on her or to get him out. And when, she, when Jocelyn kicked her, she literally flew back three feet. Like she kicked her with one leg, and she flew back three feet. And then she, Jocelyn just got right back up and was right back on her. Like, if that doesn't tell you how much of a gap there is in physicality and strength, I don't know what's going to tell you it. So I like to see her against somebody who can, who's a little bit sturdier physically. Because I've seen, I've seen Wu backed up by strawweights. I've seen strawweights and flyweights back her up. And this was up against a weight. 
So her style didn't work because she's used to having a physical advantage that allows her to impose her will. I want to see what happens when Jocelyn Edwards fights somebody who, when she phys physically tries to impose herself, they push back on her. Like maybe even Besh Kohei at this point might be a good fight. Just somebody who could take what she has to offer physically and see what else she has in the tank. And um, if this division is so thin that she puts two or three fights together, she might be a, a, title, a fringe contender in the next year, year and a half. So was it? Did she take this fight on short short notice? Yes, she was replacing Betch Kohea because this was supposed to be Betch Kohea's retirement. That's right. That's right. You said her retirement fight. Yeah, Betch was having one last fight, and she's going to retire from MMA. Oh, I didn't know that. Huh? You know what, Sajar Eubanks? Sajar Eubanks versus Jocelyn Edwards. I think that'd be a good fight. Who wins? Oh, Edwards. At this point, Edwards. I. Eubanks will get tired, and then uh, Edwards will just take over. I mean, Eubanks could win if Edwards isn't going to fight with any sort of IQ, but if if I just had to go off what the best of what I've seen from each person, I'd say Edwards. Too much physicality and uh, too much aggression. She just won't She won't accept bad positions. And for Sajara to win, you have to fight a very dumb fight. That's the only way she wins at this stage. So let's move on to UFC 257 with Justin Poirier and Conor McGregor in the main event. And this is a big, big fight here because I think it's going to determine the future of 155 pounds. Swan, from a stylistic standpoint, what do you see happening in this fight? Do we think it's going to go five rounds? Do we think it's going to go two, three? I have some thoughts on that, but I want to hear what you want to say first. I just, I just think it's the same fight as it was before. I don't know that there's that much of a difference between either of the guys fighting. I mean, I know Poirier's gotten better, striking's gotten better defensively, but the fact of the matter, when it comes down to it, if it's a striking battle, um, it still comes down, it, it still comes down to the same things. Connor's gonna encroach upon him, force him to fire and and counter aggressively. The only question is, can Dustin? handle the power and handle the accuracy and come back. Now, if Dustin can handle the power better, then yeah, we have a discussion. But I've seen Dustin still backed up by lesser strikers. I've seen him I've seen him chipped up and rocked by lesser strikers. So as much as his defense has gotten better, as much as he's become more educated in how he applies the strikes and how he sets them up, the fact of the matter is he's still not super hard to hit. He's still not the most defensively sound guy and he's still prone to making poor decisions in the cage um, stylistically. You saw it against – you saw him slow start against Dan Hooker. You saw him make some mistakes against Eddie Alvarez in the first fight where he was just brawling with him, even though when it was a matter of skill, he just outclassed them. You saw it even against um, – with Justin Gaethje, to a certain degree, having somebody pressure him and come right, come right in his face and put their face on him and impose their will – it, it flusters him. He's used to his power and the threat of his power creating a buffer where his defense won't be exposed. But Khabib pressured him and got to him. Justin Gaethje pressured him and got to him. Dan Hooker pressured him and got to him. Eddie Alvarez pressured him and got to him. So if you're if you're going to bring the fight to him and put him under duress, he's still going to be there to be hit. And he's been hit by a lot worse strikers who are a lot less powerful and a lot less accurate than Conor McGregor. So to me, it's just a matter of can he defend the shots and can he take the shots well enough to extend the fight and put pressure on Connor and see how Connor responds when he's taking 
body numerous body shots or he's having a high volume of strikes being put on him. But other outside of that, it, it's the same fight as it was before. Whether he's improved or not, we're gonna find out. But I haven't seen I haven't seen such improvements in Dustin Poirier where I say he's a completely different fighter than he was back then. He he hasn't faced guys good enough. I think he is mentally. When I looked at the first fight with Conor McGregor, Conor got under his skin big time. And he ran straight at him and got clipped and got knocked out as he should have for behaving that way. I think he fights smarter this time, and he has to in the first two rounds. Because if he tries to fight at an intense striking distance pace early, he's going to get knocked out again. Like you said, you've seen him get hit, we've seen him get hurt. The question is, does he fight at a clinch-ish range, which I think will help wear Connor down early? And if he can get the fight into the third round, I think he can be, he can outlast Connor if Connor's cardio is not improved. What are your thoughts on that? I think it just depends on how he gets to the third round. Like, is he getting to the third round catching a beating? then I don't know that he gets to the third round or through the third round. And even for him to get to these clinches that he wants to get, he's got to get through Connor's front kicks. He's got to get through Connor's head kicks. He's got to get through Connor's jab. And he's got to get through Connor's left hand. It's not like he's just going to get the clinch right off the bat. You know, as much as, much as he's going to be more deliberate and more patient, Connor's still going to come walking across the cage to try and impose his will. He's always done that. He did it against Eddie Alvarez. He did it against Chad Bendez. He did it against Nate Diaz. He did it against Nate Diaz. He did it against... Could be he walks right across and gets in your face and forces you to fight. And I've seen Dustin Poirier get rocked numerous times early in fights because it takes him time to find his rhythm. It takes him time to find his pacing. It takes him time to to get his combinations flowing and get going. Dan Hooker almost got him out there early. Justin Gaethje was beating him left, beating him across the cage left and right early. Eddie Alvarez had success early. Khabib had success early and just finished the fight. In almost every fight he's been in, when a guy has been able to impose their will on him or physically pressure him, even if he's won, he's had moments where the fight hung in the balance because his defense and the accuracy of his counter offense wasn't effective. And I don't see how that's that much difference when he's facing the best fighter, maybe second best fighter, second best fighter and the best striker that he's faced over these two, three, four, five years he's had since he fought Connor. It's been like four years. He could say he beat he could beat he beat Eddie Alvarez, but Connor beat Eddie and made it look easy. He could say he beat Justin Gaethje. I never thought Justin Gaethje beats Conor McGregor either, you know. And I'm not saying you can do MMA math, but the fact of the matter is he's not a fast starter. And the one time he was a fast starter when he tried it against Conor McGregor, he got finished immediately. So I can't imagine he's going to have the courage to come right out and, and jump on Conor right away, knowing the kind of counterpuncher he is. It just it seems like he's going to try to sit back and be more th- more methodical. And I don't know that he's skillful enough or and I don't know that he's durable enough to, to win a methodical fight where he's looking to just out technique and then build on his momentum and wear Connor out. That worked for Nate Diaz because Nate Diaz throws a crazy amount of volume. Dustin Poirier doesn't throw that kind of volume and Dustin Poirier doesn't walk through those kind of shots. He never has. I, I don't know that why I all of a sudden I also all of a sudden believe that he'd do it now. And yeah, and I'm uh, and I'm agreeing with you there because I'm also concerned about what those first few shots look like when they land because we know they're going to land on Dustin, and 
I also get worried about that. So I'm right there with you. If he gets hurt early, first three minutes, Connor's going to get him the fuck out of there. Yeah. Connor's going to get him out of there and it's going to be bad. But if he can get it, if he can, if he can protect himself and give and take a little bit better than he has for a very long time, because I've always thought he had durability issues going back to Chainsung Jump. If he can give and take a little bit better than he did all the way back then, 10, 12, 15 minute mark of this fight, I think it's going to be an interesting fight. Yeah, I mean, but once again, like I said, is he getting there and it's an even fight? Or the reason it worked for Nate Diaz is Nate Diaz was throwing so much volume, willing to take so much punishment to get to Connor. I don't know that Dustin Poirier, his strategy is going to be just, I'm just going to throw volume, I'm going to take whatever he has coming back at me. I don't know that he believes he can take it. I don't know that he can take it, you know, and I know people say that Connor just beat uh, Cowboy Cerrone before, but the fact of the matter is, outside of Justin Gaethje, even though Cowboy was on a losing streak, who was just who, who was just blowing blowing the doors off Cowboy? Who was just knocking him out left and right? Leon Edwards didn't, you know. Tony Ferguson didn't just dominate him. The only person who knocked him out straight out was Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje, Connor McGregor. Not Darren Till did too. Oh yeah, Darren, well, Darren Till. Darren Till. Darren, Darren, Darren Till's like, Darren Till's like, him out there too. well, I mean, like, Pettis knocked him out. I just mean, like, in this recent run, he just fought Anthony Pettis. They went to decision. Like, yeah, I'm talking about the first it, time he fought Pettis. Yeah, I'm, yeah, but I'm just talking about in the recent run, as much as people are trying to downplay the win over Donald Cerrone, really, maybe one guy out of five had really just finished him in a similar fashion. So it's not like he just didn't have a skill set or he just, his chin is completely gone. The two biggest hitters in the division knocked him out. Not just like some guys who didn't have real power. So it's like you. I don't want to overstate his win over Donald Cerrone, but th- I think there's levels as fighters. And if you put their one co- their common opponent in Eddie Alvarez, Connor looks better, and Eddie was a much better, sh- much sharper fighter at that point. You put against Khabib, Connor put up a better fight against Khabib, and that was after two years of not being in the cage. You know, I just think there's different levels. Can Dustin Poirier beat him? Yeah, if Connor is not 100% focused. If Connor's cardio isn't there, but a lot of things would have to go wrong for Connor for it to get to that point. And if Connor McGregor isn't doesn't understand the severity of how much money's on the table if he loses this fight, then I would think that yeah, he's got a chance. But Connor McGregor's already been humbled. He already lost. He's already lost on the big stage. He has a chance to go on a run and make some real big money in in MMA, and then go make some real big money fighting. Manny Pacquiao, if he loses to Dustin Poirier, all that goes away. So as much as people like to say that Conor fades and he quits, I really haven't seen him fade and quit, to be quite honest. I've seen him get beaten up, but I've seen that happen with Dustin Poirier, too. I've seen him get choked out. I've seen that happen with Dustin Poirier, too. So if you're going to tell me that that about Conor, then I'll have to say the same is true about Dustin Poirier, which puts us right back at square one. Very true there, sir. Very true. Um... Should this fight be for a title, interim or lineal, either or? Well, I mean, if if somebody retired, if if Khabib really retired, then yeah, it would make the fight even bigger. I mean, technically speaking, since Khabib doesn't know he's going to come back, you could at least say it's for an interim championship, just just to make it give it a give it a little bit more prestige. You could just say it's for an interim championship because Khabib doesn't know if he's going to come back, but uh, the UFC for some reason doesn't think it's worthy of that and. As a result, it's just going to be what it's going to be. But, I mean, it, it really wouldn't change a whole lot, but just to make the stakes a little bit higher because, you know, 
Dustin would have a chance to be an interim champion for the second time. Um, Connor would be the interim champion and could kind of force a fight with Khabib to say, let's merge championships or let's unify the belts. But, um, I mean, when you're dealing with somebody like Conor McGregor, you don't have to do things like that. It's just name Conor McGregor is enough is, is enough of a selling point. True. Um, I wish that they would have taken the belt from Khabib the minute he retired, but they didn't. And now they're playing around, playing this damn game, this announcement game, which doesn't mean anything. Dana, Dana sees those dollar signs. He's he's not going to just concede it because he knows how much money he's taking off the table if, if if they miss out on an opportunity for Khabib and Connor to rematch. That's a, that might be a $3 million buy fight. Three million they could have done that even if they took the title off of Khabib. Yeah, but I don't. I don't, I think he wants it to be in a position where now he he wants it to be. He want he wants the whole matchup redone all over again, where it's the champion can be the champion and and Connor's gonna have to take the belt off. Not Connor is given the belt and he's defending it against Khabib. He wants the whole storyline all over again. Connor's gonna yeah, climb I, the belt and win the belt. I don't think Khabib's gonna fight Connor ever again. I don't think so either. But Dana White clearly. Clearly said something to him because before it was an automatic. I promised my mom I'm not going to fight anymore. Now it's well if somebody impresses me. Well, that's Dana's words. We don't know what Khabib said in that room. Well, I would think that Khabib, well, I don't know Khabib personally. He just seems like, from what interviews I've seen, he seems like a very direct and to the point kind of guy. So I would think that if he was not fighting, period, he would have said, I'm not fighting, period. He, nobody can get close enough to him to ask. I think if he gets asked, he says that. But um, we'll see. I don't think he's fighting Connor, especially if Connor wins this weekend. The fight that I am looking forward to is Dan Hooker versus Michael Chandler. I think this is going to be violence 101, like absolute carnage in the cage for six minutes, seven minutes tops. What are your thoughts about this fight? Um, it's really going to come down to if Michael Chandler can take a punch anymore. I, I tend to believe his recovery and his durability isn't there but if it if his if the break the time off and his training has built him back up then i would say it's a fight in his favor because he so far outclasses hooker and his ability to follow instructions from his coaches his ability to hit with power his speed his mobility and i'd probably say his overall technique at least with the hands is probably better than, than dan hooker dan hooker's like an educated brawler if he, in fact, can't take punishment, then the fight's going to end quickly either way because Dan Hooker's going to take it right to him. And if he can't scare Dan Hooker off or stop him in the first early, first 10, 15, 20 seconds, then Hooker's going to be all over him and, and Hooker's going to wipe him out. I don't know that I believe it can be a war because I believe Hooker, in theory, based off his previous fights, should be able to take whatever Chandler throws at him. But as, as pointed out to me by numerous people on Twitter before, Hooker's been in wars for the past two or three years, and at some point your chin just gives up. So I can only go on past performances, and it tells me that Hooker can take the best of Chandler's shots, and I have no idea if Chandler can take the best from Hooker's shots. And it's basically whoever can take whose punishment best, because at least in the early round, Hooker should be able to stand it to whatever Chandler fires off. And you know Hooker's going to get into exchanges. He's going to look for those knees when uh, Chandler drops change levels for the takedowns, and he's willing to takes takes them to give some. I don't know that Michael Chandler has that mindset anymore. He seems to jump on you early, and if he can't finish you, he starts getting a little safety first. He starts balancing. He starts looking to do his wrestling because he feels like he can't get you out of there. 
And I don't think that's a good recipe for success against Hooker because Hooker doesn't accept being taken down. He's not going to accept being controlled. So any moment you're in any sort of position, he's going to be looking to finish. And I, I still don't believe that, that Michael Chandler can navigate five rounds straight with a fighter who's looking to finish and, and win unless he stops that guy. It's only three rounds. That's what I'm saying. It's only three. Well, even three rounds. I just don't have any faith. I, until I see him get cracked hard and recover and either walk through it or recover, I don't have any faith in his ability to take punishment. I just don't. I saw Brent Primus ding him up a little bit. I saw Pitbull just finish him right off the bat, and I've seen him fight other guys where he's not taking shots the way he used to. And because, and I think he knows he can't take shots the way he used to. He fights a little bit different. There's not that reckless abandon. And people telling me, well, it's a matter of his maturity and his IQ. Part of it, but part of it is knowing I can't, I can't catch like that anymore. My chin isn't what it used to be, so I can't take those chances. I can't be that aggressive. I have to start paying attention to defense, and I have to start being a little bit more methodical in what I do. Not because I don't want to take the abuse, but because I cannot no longer physically take that abuse. And against a guy like Daniel, I don't know that it at some point doesn't break down into an all-out firefight. I don't believe Michael Chandler can survive a prolonged firefight. Now, like you said, three rounds, then you know maybe he can wrestle him and just pull it out. But the, that first round, round and a half, is going to be real dicey for him. And I think he wants to make an impression. I don't think he wants to win by wrestling. I think he wants to put a show on and put a stamp on that performance to put himself in the title talks. And he ain't going to do that through wrestling. It's got to be a stoppage or some kind of devastating knockout, which is the fight that Daniel Hooker wants. Yeah, I think that fight yeah. is going to be absolute carnage for some reason. It's just, it's just a feeling I have. Um, what else on this card stands out to you? I'm looking forward to the Amanda Rebus uh, Marina Rodriguez fight that to open up the main card. Um, I mean, I, I, this is the fight that I'm really kind of concerned about because I think it it impacts the the uh, the the championship in that division will be Jessica I versus Joanne Calderwood. I think that's an important fight just because I, the division's so up and down. You're never, I mean, Jessica I isn't getting another title fight. She could win the next two or three fights because Valentina defeated her so cleanly. But if Joanne can beat Jessica I, she, outside of Jessica Andrade, she has an argument for a title fight. And I think that, I think that's a fight you look to because in the last fight with Jennifer Maya, you saw that Valentina wasn't nearly as effective or literally as offensively active or sharp when she faced a person she couldn't physically dominate. I know she was coming off an injury. I get all that. But when she's faced got fighters who she can physically dominate, she sits down on her shots more. She throws with more murderous intent. She physically bullies girls. But when she faces girls who, who, can, who can clinch up with her, who won't be bullied, she gets real hesitant. She gets real cautious. And she gets real... Even, even more efficient with her shots. When she fought Liz Carmouche, she wasn't engaging in the same way she did against Caitlin Chukagan. She wasn't engaging in the same way she did against Jessica I or Priscilla Cachuera. When she faced Jennifer Maya, she wasn't engaging in the same way she did against I, Chukagan, or Cachuera. The only difference is Maya is a big, strong, physical fighter. Carmouche, even though she's not as athletic as she used to be, is a big, strong, physical, athletic fighter. Joanne's not super athletic, but she's big, she's strong, she's durable. And you get into clinches with her, you just can't have your way. You take her down, she can get back up. If she takes you down, you're not getting up for a minute. So I'd like to see 
her face yet another person that she can't physically impose her will on. Now, she could, could she land a strike and just knock out Joanne? Sure. But if Joanne told her we can force clinches and get her hands on her, we have a whole nother fight. So that's why I think that Jessica I fight versus Joanne is important. And I think the UFC thinks jo- JoJo Calderwood's going to win that fight. I think it's more of a showcase fight for her, given what Jessica I has shown in her past two or three outings. Who do you think Shevchenko fights next at any point in time? Uh, they can't ever fight Lauren Murphy. Lauren Murphy hasn't beaten anybody. I mean, Jessica Andrade has got to be in the uh, driver's seat. Maybe worst case scenario is Valentina needs more time to needs more rest and needs more time. So they have Jessica Andrade fight JoJo after this, or fight fight Lauren Murphy and then fight Valentina. Just give give Jessica Andrade another fight to keep busy and stay sharp or get acclimated to the weight, but if they don't have her fight a Lauren Murphy or JoJo Calderwood, then they're going to have Jessica Andrade step right in and fight Valentina next. Good thoughts there, sir. Good thoughts. What else on this card? He said, um, that fight, is there anything else that stands out to you? Uh, not a lot of the guy fights. Mostly mostly just the girls' fights. I mean, they got Juliana Pena coming back to fight Sarah McMahon. Uh, two people who were who, who were thought to be the future of the division, who've had some stunning and quite frankly embarrassing losses. I mean, what did um, Pena got submitted by Shevchenko and Jermaine Durandamy, two world class strikers, submitted her cleanly. And you have Sarah McMahon, who's basically considered one of the best wrestlers and grapplers in the world, who's been summarily submitted and out wrestled by numerous fighters either defensively or offensively. So you have two people with all the physical tools and a pedigree that says they should be top, what, top five, top seven fighters or worse, who seem to be, who seem mentally unable to make the leap into being elite fighters because they make mistakes in the, in the most key areas of a fight and cost themselves when they've had win streaks and they have all the physical tools and the resources behind them to be elite fighters in the division in a division that's very thin and some would say very weak. They've never even been able to consistently stay in that top three to five because they keep making mistakes or, or they've been developed so poorly that they can't ever get back over that home. At least McMahon got to a title fight, but she was dispatched by Rousey pretty easily. And from that point on, she went from boring wins to just crushing one-sided losses. And same thing with Pena. Pena's had a few flashes. She was on a win streak. And then she gets submitted by Valentina. She takes some time off, wins a fight against Montano, and then comes right back out and gets submitted by Jermaine Durandamy. So it's interesting to see what this is the crossroads fight, to see which fighter can get back on track and have a chance at realizing some of the potential that they had coming into the UFC. Talk to me about the world of boxing, man. You weren't able to join us for the last um, show we did. What's going on in the boxing world that you're keeping a close eye on? Is Ryan Garcia really going to go to MMA and take that huge pay cut? I, well, I mean, if he came over to MMA, he wouldn't take a pay cut. I mean, he's such a big name that, I mean, what's considered small ratings for for boxing are considered quite good for MMA. He wouldn't have to take a pay cut. There'd be any organization willing to pay him a large sum of money. If they're willing to pay Clarissa Shields good money to fight, to actually have a legitimate world-ranked fighter, and if he retires like he said is and he wins a belt, a former champion coming to the UFC or coming to any organization to fight, they'll pay him whatever they want because his fans, his social media fans who aren't boxing fans, will follow him, and it'll be a huge payoff for them. Um, 
the biggest thing is they're trying to they're trying to get these fights made. Are they going to get a fight with a uh, Tank Davis and uh, Ryan Garcia made? That's that's the big fight right now because Tank's backed by Floyd Mayweather, which means he's got the whole machine behind him, and Floyd's going to put him in positions and platforms. They're going to get him maximum eyes on him and maximum paid money. And Ryan Garcia, through his own grassroots building of his social media following, is probably the most recognizable and most media-ready star out of everybody because he's made it a point to build his own fan base. So he knows how to talk to the media. He knows how to interact. He knows how to use social media to get what he wants, to, to create pressure for fights, to create pressure on the promoters, to get him the money he wants. So he's the guy who really knows how to use the media and knows how to pump up a fight, knows how to build a fight, and knows how to draw interest. Plus, you know, as far as the women are concerned, he's very good looking. He's kind of like a, a less proven Oscar De La Hoya. And he's got De La Hoya in his corner. He's got Saul Canelo in his corner. So you got the two, the biggest fighter and the biggest promoter as far as a face of a promotion backing Garcia. And you have, some say, the best fighter of all time and the biggest self-promoter behind Gervonta Davis. So that's probably the fight that may not be the best fight in division, but it'd be the biggest fight as far as having somebody that fans recognize, casual and um, hardcore fans recognize. Outside of that, it's waiting to see if Teofimo Lopez and Devin Haney can fight. Right now, you have uh, Haney, Garcia, Lopez, and you have Davis. And Haney's the guy who's the odd man out because he doesn't have a he doesn't he doesn't have a standout performance against a standout opponent. You know, he's been beating up on guys who are outclassed, guys who are older, guys who are a little bit shop-worn, and he doesn't have any impressive wins over somebody you would consider world ranked or somebody you would consider championship level. So he's kind of fallen behind the other guys. He's got the skills, he's got the pedigree, but he he, he doesn't have any recent wins that say that he's in the caliber, he, he's, he's in the class of the other guys. And as a result, he's fallen behind them as far as the casual fans and the hardcore fans. So De- Devin Haney's trying to find his spot in boxing so that he can build his name. Because right now his name, his, name, his name doesn't carry much weight. Outside of people knowing he's a tremendous talent, none of the fights he has generate a lot of interest, and none of the things he's done in the fights generate a lot of interest. Whereas Javante Davis had the knockout of the year. You had Ryan Garcia with one of the top five knockouts with the body shot against a top five, top three ranked fighter in a division. And you had Teofimo Lopez beat the pound-for-pound best fighter in the world, according to boxing media. So all these guys had these very recent, very big spots in their career. And you have Devin Haney going 10 rounds, 12 rounds with with Yurikos Gamboa, which didn't impress anybody. So he's the odd man now. He's trying to force the fights. He's trying to get guys in the rings because he, he can't generate money or interest on his own because he hasn't done anything independently on his own that generates money or interest. So he's trying to get Davis. He's trying to get Garcia. He's trying to get Lopez in the ring because those guys have the attention and the support of the boxing fan base that he doesn't have right now, partly because of his personality, partly because of the action in his fights, and partly because of who he's been fighting. It hasn't been exciting. It hasn't been challenging. And to be honest, I've been telling people for years, Devin Haney hasn't been in a fight. He's just been beating guys up. People want to see him in a competitive fight against guys with skill sets and abilities comparable to his. And we haven't gotten that. And as a result, people's interest in Devin Haney has dropped off tremendously. What's the one fight you look forward to the most? Um, I'd like to see Fury and Joshua. I'd like to see that fight get done. Outside of that, um, I mean, there's a lot of fights I'd like to see. 
I'd like to see Keith Thurman versus there's versus um Terrence Crawford. Um and I like to see Ryan Garcia versus Javonta Davis. I think that fight's makeable. But probably Davis versus Garcia, Fury versus Joshua, and Crawford versus um Thurman. I mean Spence is gonna be fighting soon, but I can't think of anybody outside of Crawford who I I want to see Spence fight because Spence has already fought legitimate welterweight guys before. So if it's not going to be Crawford, I'm, I'm just not very interested in seeing whoever he fights next. All right, sir. Um, I want to let everybody know what you're working on, man, so we can close out the show. Um, I've been working on a couple things. I got a uh, some articles for some comic book um, breakdowns. It's going to be one for Black Lightning. Um, I'm also going to do one, I think, during Women's Month, which is going to be basically uh, I'm going to call them the Girl Fight series, where I have different female characters and break down their fighting styles. And um, I, I actually wrote a couple boxing articles. I don't know if they'll get used or not, but I did write some just to have them in the clip in case we have some upcoming news in, in the next couple uh, weeks or months regarding the aforementioned Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, Javonta Davis, or Teofimo Lopez. Good stuff there, sir. Well, we are going to close out. And I want to thank you for joining me for this episode. And we'll be back next week to talk more about the world of MMA. So, Shawan, thank you. And let's get back at it next week for episode 193 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Thank you, sir.